0: The first reading is taken from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. It can be found on page 206 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Paul writes to remind the Church we are saved by God's gift of grace through faith, and then in Christ Jesus to do good works. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, beginning at verse 11. It can be found on page 85 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Jesus heals ten people with leprosy who call out to him. However, only one, a Samaritan, returns to thank him, leading to his salvation. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten people with leprosy approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Was none found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Rosemary. Today is World Leprosy Day. So as we look at this text from Luke's Gospel, what I'm praying is this. I'm praying that the Spirit of God would bring it to life for you. To show you what your role might be in God's mission. And how you could play your part and the difference you can make through these five marks of mission that we were thinking about last term. So shall we pray? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning, whether in this room or watching online, to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dr. Paul Brand was a world-renowned hand surgeon of the second half of the last century. He was known for his pioneering orthopedic work, which transformed the lives of thousands, maybe tens of thousands of leprosy patients around the world. His work, as a result, earned him numerous awards and honours. He would meet on many, many occasions. Gandhi, Albert Schweitzer, Mother Teresa, even Prince Philip. Another Philip, Philip Yancey, perhaps today the most respected and influential Christian author across our world, would write this of Dr. Paul Brand, that he was the wisest and most brilliant man he'd ever met. Whenever Paul Brand was asked why he devoted so much of his life to what many see as the lowest people on this planet, he would talk of an encounter, an encounter that happened in 1947 in a place called Chingleput, which is a few miles south of what is now Chennai in India. And it was there that Paul Brand saw a young man who was struggling to take his sandals off. The reason he was struggling to take his sandals off was because his hands had been deformed by leprosy. As a result, he went over and looked at those deformed hands. He then touched and shook those deformed hands and felt them in his own. And in that moment, as an orthopedic surgeon, he realised how he could change that man's life. In this moment, if you like the words of Frederick Beatner came alive to him. That the place where God calls you and me is the place where your deepest gladness and the world's deepest need meet. His life would never be the same again. Everything changed in that moment. He felt the call of the Spirit of God upon his life to work as an orthopedic surgeon. And at that time, the only orthopedic surgeon that was treating people with leprosy. Maybe as you think about your own life. Maybe if you're coming, maybe you might feel towards the second half of your life. You can recall similar moments, maybe more than one, maybe as you're maybe approaching midway in life or you still think of yourself like me as quite young, then you can maybe think of a moment where it was that you felt a call of the Spirit of God and it kind of changed the direction and it changed your life. For What did Rosemary read for us in that first reading? For we are a work of God. We are all what he has made us. As the psalm said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Who by the gift of God's grace have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ and then created in him for good works which he has prepared before the foundation of Of this world. What that means now in terms of leprosy patients as a result of Paul Brand's change and encounter with the Spirit of God, it means that now, unlike then, many of the operations undertaken today on leprosy patients aren't amputations as they were then, but they're reconstructive surgery. On hands and other limbs. however, what still remains is the emotional, the emotional pain that the people with leprosy suffer from, those deep scars that often go way, way to the center of our own being, because they're still stigmatized, still discriminated against in many parts of our world. And it was both the physical and the emotional suffering that Jesus encountered that day as he heard those 10 people with leprosy cry out for help. Just so we can know where we are in the story, just so we can kind of plot where we might wonder where about in Israel are we in this particular occasion. We read in the text, don't we, that they were in an area that would have been northern Israel. It would have been south of Galilee and north of Samaria, kind of like we might want to call it a no-man's land, basically, in terms of where they were. And in Jesus' day, like today, people with leprosy were both marginalized. They were ostracized. They were separated and excluded from the rest of society. In public, let's think about this. In public, let's think about you. As I look out at you, they probably wore face masks or some sort of face covering. They would also, though, have had the humiliation of having to shout out unclean to anyone who might come too close to them. They knew the fear and they knew the anxiety that isolation brought on and living in isolation because they lived outside of the main communities in their own particular colonies. They would have appealed for help, if you like, at the crossroads as you came into town. They would have appealed for charity there. They were experts in physical and social distancing. That's the reason we read that they call out to Jesus from a distance, as they shout out for mercy. You see, like COVID, leprosy is caught in a similar way through droplets of moisture passed through the air. Perhaps now when we've seen, at times, the panic of these past two years, as we still see in many ways the extreme caution when we think of how some countries deal with COVID. We might perhaps begin to grasp how those in the first century and beyond and afterwards did respond to treating people with leprosy. Jesus' response, though, to the people to go and show yourselves to the priest may seem a little uncaring. It may seem a a little confusing for us today. Until we realize that in those days under the law of Moses, it was only the priest who could declare someone with leprosy as cleansed. Just like it was only a priest who could declare them unclean in the first place. So if you want to read all the prescriptive, gory and gruesome detail that I saved you from this morning, you can find it in Leviticus chapters 13 through 15 and Numbers chapter 5, but don't go and read it now, basically, because that's where you'll find all the detail. But what do we read? What do we read happens in this particular encounter? You see, for those 10 people with leprosy, we read their healing wasn't instant, was it? We read, and as they went, they were healed. As they went, they were made clean. In other words, it was their obedience to Jesus' call which led to their healing. How far they'd gone before they realized something, I don't know. Maybe it, it happened like this that one of them suddenly looked down at a deformed hand that they had and they suddenly realized that all of a sudden it was deformed no more. Maybe one of them saw on somebody else that their skin had changed. You can kind of imagine a bit, can't we? Maybe the shock mixed with delight which takes over. The disbelief with the ecstasy. The rising joy mixed with the nagging thought that's going on in the back of your minds of hope not being crushed by another shattered dream. But it appears the transformation was as infectious as the disease of leprosy and COVID and its many variants for that matter. For they all quickly realised the spread of Jesus' words had impacted them all and new freedoms now (laughs) abound. And now they all face a choice, all of them, what to do next. We read the text, we read, we don't know what happened to nine of them, did we? Because only one of them did a U-turn and returned. But the one is making enough noise for the nine, isn't he? As he raises his voice, a voice, if you like, which had been so accustomed to shouting unclean, is now shouting hallelujah in praise to God for what's just occurred. Then, when he'd caught up with Jesus and the rest of them, he just fell at his feet and thanked him. Kind of imagine the scene, his life has been changed Forever. Exuberant joy where the moment just takes over to the extent that you couldn't give a care in the world what anybody else thinks about you or how embarrassed you might look. And then as you're reading these words or watching them happen before your very eyes comes the sucker punch. The kind of pass from left field that you're not expecting that kind of leaves you winded in the stomach thinking that's not meant to happen five words. That's all it was. That's all it took. And he was a Samaritan. And he was a Samaritan. In those five words, it brought everything back and all of a sudden, people being happy at seeing this person healed, all of a sudden, their backs immediately turn, or their face just goes so frosty as a result. Six to eight centuries of mistrust, hate, prejudice, oppression, and hostility comes flying into the room. You see, it all went back to when the superpower of the day, Assyria, invaded Israel in the 8th century B.C., And what they decided was this. They decided that the best way that they could inflict the most pain upon the Jews was to dilute the race. They they knew that the Jews had such a strong ethnic heritage, such a strong ethnic identity. And so what they did was they forced the Israelite women to marry Assyrian men. As a result, the babies that were born half Jew half Assyrian were called Samaritans and both the Assyrians and the Jews especially hated them. You see for a, for a Jew if you were a faithful Jew they believed that you'd rather die than marry an Assyrian. That was the history. That was the backdrop to those five words and the shock the horror that actually nine Jewish people hadn't returned and one Samaritan had come back to praise God. Can you almost feel the tension in the air? Like a knife slicing through softened butter and he was a Samaritan. Jesus, of course, meanwhile, isn't bothered about that so much, is he? He has a different thought. If if 10 people were healed and only one has returned, what happened to the other nine? Where have they gone? Why didn't they come to praise God? So I heard someone say recently, many see the need to pray to Jesus, but fewer see the need to praise him. Many see the need to pray to Jesus but fewer see the need to praise him. But we know this is true, don't we? Maybe we've seen it in the story of our own lives, when someone that we know who who doesn't know Jesus just cries out, seems to suddenly pray to Jesus for some sort of help or cure or miracle in some situation in their life, and it happens. But it doesn't then mean that they then want to praise and follow him afterwards. Or even we know it in the story of our own lives as well. When we've prayed to God desperately for something to happen, God has delivered. And yet how often do we forget to thank him afterwards? Many see the need to pray to Jesus, but fewer see the need to praise him. But we read all the no-show of the nine means is that they miss out. On everything God has to offer. That's what happens. You miss out on the best things that God has to offer. For the one, though, in this instance, something more precious than even being healed happens. Because he's saved from the stigma and destruction of sin. Because Jesus said, get up, your faith has made you well. We could say, get up, your faith has saved you. It's the same word, sozo, meaning salvation. And his life, in more ways than one, is transformed. As a church, over the past seven years, we've principally given funds to one leprosy project. A hospital which sits high, on a mountaintop overlooking Kathmandu in Nepal called Anandaban Hospital. Seven years ago, I met their medical director, a man called Shavaka Kandal. And what always struck me wasn't so much how brilliant a surgeon he was, which I'm sure he is. What struck me was his love for Jesus. It convinced me, just like with Dr. Paul Brand's work before, of the difference that they make, of the beacon of hope they provide. Irrespective of whether their patients come to faith in Jesus Christ, but I'm sure many of them do come to faith in Jesus Christ simply because of their infectious nature, of how much they demonstrate the love of Jesus. This past week I was reading of some of the latest pioneering work at that particular hospital. And yet still of the obstacles that they have to overcome. A hospital that was ravaged by earthquakes in 2015. And their current plans to rebuild their pioneering research centre. You see, what's incredible about much of the research that goes on in terms of leprosy today. And in terms of how to treat it, how to solve it and resolve it is that it happens at this particular laboratory at Anandaban that could even be forced to close because it's just not fit for purpose. Yet it's amazing how this tiny, cramped, crumbling lab think not of the smartest hospital that we might think of and all the incredible equipment that might be around and how clean it looks. Think not of that. Think of a tiny, cramped, crumbling lab perched in the trees on the side of a Himalayan foothill overlooking Kathmandu. This tiny lab actually leads the world with its research. You see, one of the biggest barriers to overcoming leprosy throughout the world, which actually... Could happen in most of our lifetimes is the difficulty in diagnosing it early enough. Yet, this lab in Anandaban, they've been developing this diagnostic test that can actually diagnose leprosy on one of these a smartphone. It's incredible. The new research director there, or the current research director there, is a woman called Dr. Diana Harg. She will talk when you meet her, when you speak to her. She'll talk about the same particular event. An event where she just heard the call of God. And she knew it was the Spirit of God in some way that was putting God's plan upon her life, just like it had happened 75 years before. With Dr. Paul Brand, as a church, since 2015, over the past six and a half years, we did a bit of a tally up as to how much, how many, how much funds have we given as a church, and we worked out across our congregations that we've given well in excess of thirty thousand pounds, most of which is to this particular hospital we know that those funds have been matched either by the UK government or the Jersey Overseas Aid Commission. You see, it's part of a rich heritage that if, if people said to me or will describe St. Describe Juan's Church to me, to people, I might talk quite quickly about a rich heritage that I've seen in recent decades in this church to the role of compassion and justice, which if I'm honest, I... I don't see in other churches across this island. You see, as we continue to come through COVID, I think as a church, we now find ourselves in one of these crossroad moments about what to do next in the new, different, in terms of what our future mission priorities should be. As we think about and as we reflect upon those five marks of mission, remember that card that Brian gave you last September you know, if you've, if you've lost it, I noticed there was still some on the table. Or if you never, you never got one. These five marks of mission. Authorised, if you like, by the Church of England. And the Anglican Church worldwide. To proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. To baptise, teach, nurture new disciples. To respond to human need by loving service. To transform Unjust structures in society, including tackling violence of every kind, to look at how we will sustain and look after creation and this earth. And you see, what that doesn't mean is kind of, well, just saying, well, we'll just give some money, because that isn't good stewardship. Neither is it saying, oh, well, you know best, Ian you just decide because that isn't good stewardship either, is it? You see, today's, if you like, as we think about our mission funds over this year is a renewed call just like we've tried to do over this past decade now for each of us to think as part of this church to act in our own lives and to ask in our own lives what's my role? Where is, where was, if you like, the Dr. Paul Brand moment of the Spirit of God? Or where is or what was the Dr. Diana Haag, if you like, encounter with the Lord for you? You see, one of the things that the past two years has done is, it makes, is it's made us so self-absorbed where all of a sudden we've kind of thought more and more about ourselves. And actually... If we're going to live in the new normal, the new different, we have to look out of ourselves and we have to start to think of others. You see, no doubt I'm sure that will mean that we will continue to support some of those agencies that we have in the past. But here's what, I've noticed over the past 18 months I've noticed that actually some of those agencies kind of like they don't need necessarily our funds anymore and it's actually well what are the new ones what are the what are the new ones that are going to come because it's always about new life Christianity is always about new life isn't it with death and resurrection. What are the new opportunities. That we might embrace. As well as the existing ones. What are those opportunities. That the Holy Spirit just wants to. Willingly give us. Not begrudgingly. But just willingly give us. If we'll take that opportunity. To bring hope. To transform lives. Through Jesus Christ. In the name